Welcome to the Columbus Podcast Festival. I'd like to welcome the screening room with us tonight. We have uh, Hope Mad at the Movies Madden and George Screen Wolf. They've been reviewing movies for, I believe, over 15 years. And uh, their website, actually madwolf.com, was named in the top 100 movie blogs in the world. So at this time, would you welcome with me Hope and George with The Screening Room. Either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie! It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry! You waste all our film! It's so bad! (laughs) I love that. It's so bad! (laughs) Hopefully there won't be bad ones this week. Welcome. We're so glad to be here at the Columbus Podcast Festival. Thank you so much for the invite. Uh, Very exciting. And it should be fun. Uh, Yeah, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And uh, our, our website is madwolf.com, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F.com. And does anybody, uh, as he mentioned, we've been reviewing movies now for quite a while. Does anybody remember the other paper from years ago here in Columbus? <laughs> we were the film critics for the other paper for, back yeah, in the day before for, the man shut us down. That's right. And, and since, we moved online. We since, have uh, our, our website, madwolf.com, and also we write for Columbus Underground. We also write for uh, UK Film Review. Com. We take it overseas, and uh, also the Saga radio stations throughout the country here in town. That's Sunny 95 and Rewind Columbus, QFM 96, and Mix 107.9. So uh, we're also members of the Columbus Film Critics Association. So we, are. we watch a lot of movies. Actually, last year we, we kept track, <laughs> starting on January 1st until December 31st of 2017, 352 movies we watched in 2017. That's why we don't watch TV. Everybody always talks to us about, oh, have you seen this great new TV show? No, we haven't, because we have a movie every night. But you gotta make some, uh, you gotta make some sacrifices. So we've got a few this week. We've got some new in the theaters, and uh, also some new on home video, and some good stuff. It's kind of an in-between week. You know, we had, we're just coming off of Infinity War, and we've got, what, one week to go till? Deadpool 2 is next week, and then, of course, Solo is a couple of weeks out. So yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting week. Because there are four movies that we'll talk about, and they really all develop the same theme of underestimated women. I don't know who, what gods came together. It was like all of them. Every single one we're getting shovel out there this weekend. It's all going to be about the chicks. But it is. Yeah, so it's kind it of is. It worked out that way. So it's good. And all in different types of themes, different yes, perspectives. Some much so, bloodier than others. Much bloodier. So we'll start out with a comedy. After her husband abruptly asks for a divorce, a middle-aged mother returns to college to complete her degree, Life of the Party. I don't regret staying at home and being your mom, but I regret not getting my degree. That's why somebody's mom just enrolled in college. (laughs) I'm referring to myself. I'll see you around the quad. Nobody says that, Mom. Well, bring it back. Get ready for the wildlife. I think those dads just checked you out. I'm just looking at my smock. It tends to catch the light. Get ready for the wildlife. I'm older. I'm wiser. This, essentially a Google. Ask me anything. Turn off your Google. You're scaring me. I think my Google scared Jack last night. Oh, my God. But in a good way. I'm like when you intentionally go through a haunted house. Ew! Get ready for the wildlife. All right, so obviously that's the latest from Melissa McCarthy. So how do we feel about Melissa McCarthy? I know she's polarizing sometimes. Who, who thinks she's not funny? Not funny at all. See, that's awesome. Nobody thinks she's not funny at all, right? Because you'd be so wrong. Be so wrong. She's hilarious. Honestly, I think the, the biggest issue with Melissa McCarthy that I see is that 
so many, too few films really can take advantage of her talent and so many films just cling to her for dear life to bring entertainment to what they have. Yeah, and it's interesting. You look at what I, we think are the best movies that she's done. Bridesmaids, obviously. Oh One of the best comedic performances, I think, ever right, yeah. in Bridesmaids. And The Heat. The Heat was great. And Spy. Yeah. And they're all directed by the same guy. Paul, Paul Feig. Feig. Yeah, mm -hmm. Paul Feig. This one, Life of the Party, is the third collaboration with her husband, Ben Falcone. Right. Uh, he directs and and they co-write they, they co-write it and they've done Tammy yeah which was that was I think the worst of the three yeah uh, the boss a couple of years ago was funny wasn't wasn't great but was funny and was an interesting character for Melissa McCarthy to play yeah and then yeah Tammy I think just went off the rails it was a lazy road, road trip. picture yeah, yeah which is one of the laziest ways to string together just disconnected skits and yeah. antics with a road picture. So I think they're getting better though. I think this is the best one of the three they yeah. have done together. I think it's so. not as good as the best of Melissa McCarthy, but it, you know, it starts with a pretty well-worn premise. You've got an adult going back to school. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's like back to school. Back right? to school and From plenty of others. 80s. You know, um, the Simpsons did it, but they've done everything. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so she gets uh, blindsided with a divorce and goes back to college to complete her degree in archeology. span and uh, she's instantly friends with her daughter and her daughter's friends, and she's in her daughter's sorority. So it's kind of those movies where the, it's got some suspension of, of disbelief because some things fall in line that are contrived and very convenient, and you kind of have to look the other way. But at the same time, she is able again, Melissa McCarthy, to carve out a very good and reliable comedic character. She is. Uh, she's. She's aided by some greats. Maya Rudolph is hilarious. Yeah, Maya Rudolph movie. is her best friend. She's very just, funny. Yeah. She, she's awesome in this movie. And then there are a couple of the college students who are just weird, just, just randomly weird. Coma girl. Yes, just, one, of, one of the, one of the uh, sorority sisters is a little older because she was in a coma for eight years. And so she's known on campus as Coma Girl. And she's, and she's just, got a million followers on Twitter as Coma Girl. So. And, she, and she says really random things. And, and, yeah. But yeah, Melissa McCarthy really pulls it all together. And it's one of those characters where she's incredibly sweet and smiling and laughing all the time and very endearing. But at the same time, some of the things she says really comes out of left field and strikes you in that way of like the whole the Google business. Yeah, and even when, even when the, the scenes themselves, the setup is a little familiar, the scenes kind of tend to go off in weird ways that are, that are interesting and funny. Sometimes. But I think for me that's one of the, the you know, downsides of the film is that, is that this, the scenes, I like that the scenes are very unpredictable uh, because the, the story itself really follows a fairly traditional path, but individual scenes are just weird and they're randomly screaming about ham sandwiches and you're not really sure. So it's a, a very surprising and fresh, but at the same time, Sometimes I think they just go on for too long. They're just, you're just like, all right, it's, uh, is there a story that you're telling? Can we get back to that? Yeah, but the, the best of it is that it's character driven. It does have a, a sweetness about it that yeah. some of her, her best movies, I, I think I like her when she's got more bite, when she has characters that have more, yes. a little more sass, a little more bite to them. Let's face it, I love when she's just foul-mouthed. Right. I mean, that's funny <laughs> to me. But, uh, but she does get laughs here, and again, it's very, character driven in a good way not just the main character but some of the side characters are right are, are distinctive it's, it's not a laugh riot it's certainly not the best of her but I think I, I, actually there were there were some people in the theater who were really laughing 
You know, there were, you know, it is, I think, it's certainly more of a crowd pleaser than Tammy. It's, oh, yes. it's, it's a crowd pleaser. Yeah. Um, and it's got a very sort of 80s throwback vibe oh, yes. about it in because a it huge checks, way. Because it checks off a lot of those boxes. There's got to be a dance off. You know, there's got to be an 80s night. It, it checks off some of those boxes that you know you're <laughs> going to see in a movie like this. But at the same time, it delivers a decent amount of laughs. I think I would, I would recommend it just barely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So Life of the Party comes out this week. And the next one that is a major release in theaters this week is a woman fighting to protect her family during a home invasion. It's Gabrielle Union in Breaking In. You are a woman, alone, at the mercy of strangers. What do you want? We want something in the house. I will do anything to protect my kids. Do exactly what I say or you and your kids will not survive this night. Do you understand? She took out the lights. She's smart. But we have her kids. Now, she's desperate. I'm just a mom. You have no clue what I'm capable of. I remember uh, when I saw the trailer for this before I saw the film, thinking to myself, does this feel to anybody else like a Liam Neeson movie starring Gabrielle Union? It does, and there's a reason for that. It's the same writer, Ryan Engel, who did Nonstop and The Commuter, which themselves are the same Liam Neeson movie. Yeah, one of them is on a train, one, but... one of them is on an airplane, same damn thing. Exactly. And, and he just wrote Rampage, which was just... Oh, that. Yeah. well, good another, for him. Another cinematic classic. <laughs> and strangely, this one was directed by James McTeague, who, if you look at his resume, he directed V for Vendetta. And nothing else worth seeing. Yeah, which was, okay, I'm, I'm with you. V for Vendetta, and then... No. And this one, you talk about checking off the boxes. This is so... It's like Gabrielle Union, give her credit because she's working hard here. She is. And she's about the only one. Yeah. Well, you know what? The the little girl who plays her daughter, I thought, did a really nice job as well. And who looks like her. She She looks like her daughter. It's eerie. But I mean... Again, good for you. Everything (laughs) everything else about it. I mean, the direction, the writing, it seems like they just wanted to get to catering. You know, let's get done and let's get this. But this is a thriller. It's home invasion. The bad guys are going to get theirs. We're yeah, gonna... I think so. So they took sort of the uh, safe room premise and, and turned it around. So she's trapped on the outside of the house. And her kids are trapped inside with people who have broken in. And they don't give you a lot of backstory. Uh, Not her, a whole lot. Her dad was involved in some shady you business. You don't really know what it is. Which is fine. But, yeah, but his place is way, way, way out in uh, out the woods of Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Wisconsin, and it's very tech dense. Yeah, she See, this has... is the biggest issue that I had with it. Not just the cookie cutter characters, not just Billy Burke, who's the main guy, who just reminded me of that guy, uh, uh, just like, you okay? Yeah, right. The whole movie. David Caruso. Like, he never stops doing this, the whole movie. Yeah? <laughs> he you, played the dad he, yeah. in all the Twilight movies, Billy yes. Burke, if you don't know him. And, uh, and he's, he's not a very convincing mastermind. But the thing that I thought was interesting was the way they had her trying to break in. Like, she's the one breaking in. The problem that I had with it is that they set it up really early on with how, you know, sort of prepared for tech this house is with cameras, you know, and lights that turn on and off and bulletproof glass and all these things. But the, they use it so incredibly conveniently to, to like, the, the direction that the film wants to take because at one point, Billy Burke realizes that she is back in the house. And it's, it's not just with the cameras. It's also with, you know, they've got lights that come on and come off, but they only come on and come off when it's really dramatic for it to happen. Other times you're like, how, how did she get back in the house? If you can't get within 15 feet of the house without turning on the outside lights, which will alert everybody inside, how is she in the house? Yeah, Can there are out? definitely some plot holes. But there are some, there are one or two surprises. It took a couple of turns I didn't really expect. 
uh, to be honest. But it's still the whole thing except for Gabrielle Union's performance, just to me seems so lazy. Very lazy. I think there was potential here. There really was, and they just don't really seem interested in, in no, going and about it. No, you know, it. it's funny. So I, I blame a lot of it on McTeague because, you know, you can have sort of a mindless, fun, mid-budget thriller, say, Liam Neeson's entire career over the last 15 years, if the direction is slick. And, oh, yeah. and this is so plotting and bland. It is. So they set it up with... The uh, baddies broke in just before the family arrives. They don't expect the family. And the family has arrived because their dad is dead, the grandpa is dead, and they have to get the house ready to sell. So the baddies have cut the, the uh, phone cord, and there is 90 minutes bef- if, b- to fix it before the police arrive. They have 90 minutes. So the clock is ticking, which is a good setup, and it's a good way to distract you from all of the plot holes if you can just direct the film with a little bit of flair. But then... They all stand around. They just stand yeah. around. Well, where no is the sense safe? Of is whatsoever. anyone looking for the safe? I got all nervous. I'm like, I'll go look for the safe for you because you guys are just not taking efficient advantage of the time you have in front of you. <laughs> exactly. And, and uh, yeah, the, the direction was really uninspired. And also, some of that could have had to do with an editing job because it was clear in at least two or three scenes that they started out with an R rating and then cut it down to a PG-13. That's right. As some people's mouths were moving and not saying the word that was coming out on the screen. Because I think that hardened ex-cons who are breaking into a house often say freaking this is my guess that they all say freaking yeah so not all of it rang true i guess is what we're saying but it did have a couple of turns i don't think not enough for me to recommend it no Uh, if you're you know if you're at home one night late on the weekend you just got back from taco bell you flip it on and there it is okay yeah other than that i don't think so not for uh not for breaking in the next one though kind of came up um a little bit of a surprise, but we liked it. It's a reminder to never take your mistress on an annual guy's getaway, especially one devoted to hunting, a violent lesson for three wealthy married men. This one's called Revenge. This one kind of snuck up on us. I didn't really hear anything about this for until the last couple of weeks, but boy, what a nice surprise. It's the debut, really an incredibly assured debut for a French writer-director, Coralie Fargo. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And I'll tell you what, if this is any indication, I want to see what she's doing next. Yeah. I feel like I should have warned you about that trailer. It's a tough trailer. I feel like I should have <laughs> suggested... I don't know. Look away. But uh, it's a tough movie. This is a brutal, bloody film. And at the same time, it's weirdly gorgeous. I'm a very big fan of horror films. It's my favorite kind of movie. And uh, one of the sort of sub-genres that I'm not super fond of is this kind of rape-revenge film. And this movie does it better than probably any that I have seen. Um, and, and it feels for a while like a very traditional setup, although it looks amazing. And one of the things that Fargo does is um, she creates these echoes uh, as, as the power structure changes and the, the woman finds her footing and becomes the hunter. Images that you saw early on that really objectify and sort of 
create a very consumerism sort of image of the female, she, the director, turns around and shows you again the identical image, only now it's the men who are being hunted. It's really, as George said, it is an amazingly confident first feature. Uh, Very few people, I think, and she also wrote it, uh, very few filmmakers, I think, can not only tell a story this well, but then tell a story this well visually simultaneously. It's um, like, I mean, it's a, oh my God, it's a bloody mess. (laughs) If you couldn't tell from the trailer. There's a lot of blood. But at the same time, I mean, you know, she'll she'll do these almost surreal, like, hyper close-ups of different things. And it's very symbol heavy, the film is, without feeling preachy. Because, again, I think a lot of times when she does these things, there's something very off-kilter about the imagery that she presents. So it's not, like, super spot-on or preachy or it's, it's weird is what it is. And it makes a nice balance for this really brutal, you know, sort of desert chase um, I loved it. And it's interesting to get a movie like this from a female perspective, not only from the point of view of the movie, but from the point of view of the filmmaker mm-hmm. as being a, a female. And it's, it's come up here recently, just in the last couple of weeks, a lot of discussion about the very common trope in horror, the final girl, you know, the last girl left in, in, the, horror, in the horror film. So, and this could kind of be a, a movie like that, but at the same time, it, it turns it on its head a little bit and, and whether there's been some talk recently about whether even the final girl, which is supposedly empowering, even is that just an excuse for male viewers to live out a fantasy of objectifying women and brutalizing women. So it has a different look about uh, taking on gender hostilities, which definitely come up in this movie, oh, very well, hostile. Yes. Uh, and it's always great to get a fresh perspective like this. And it's just another indication where it shows you no matter what kind of a premise you have, it can be an old premise. It can be, mm-hmm. you know, how many rape revenge movies have there been? Tons. Mm, yeah. And if you have the right filmmaker, mm-hmm. you can always breathe some sort of new life into it. And, and especially, like you say, visual storytelling can be so uh, engrossing and gripping. It is. It's interesting, um, the idea that, that you know, because I think that's true. I think final girls tend to come up in slashers, and slashers tend to be the most misogynistic outside of Italian horror. I'm rambling on like a nerd. I'm sorry. But what she does do in this film, early on, the, the lead character, Jen, is, is uh, the, the camera very much ogles her. But that's because the men in the room are very much ogling her. And then later, it's funny, again, with the echoes, you'll see nearly the exact same sort of circle sweep of, of Jen's body, only Jen's body is now covered in blood. Not all of it hers. And, uh, you know, and a lot of, you know, bruises and... and, and gaping wounds and then when you get to her face it's very different as opposed to being sort of you know um acquiescent and happy she's she's totally a badass at this point so it's interesting because it seems to me that just doing that is a comment on the way horror films tend to objectify women if you haven't guessed big recommendation for revenge <laughs> if if you're going into it eyes wide open that yeah. uh, it's a it's, it's are a you bru- squeamish it's a brutal movie <laughs> and that is revenge and one more wide release this week, a film that follows two assassins with a sinister mission, a fatally ill teacher, an enigmatic janitor, and a waitress with a double life. Murderous consequences unravel in Terminal. I am Mr. Franklin. I have an offer. I want you to kill someone for me. I'll set them on one another like starving rats in a cage, and you can watch through the bars. Bang. Down the rabbit hole. Who says mysteries are lost art, eh? 
What's wrong with you? I have an unquenchable bloodlust for darkness. To imminent death. Hey! Wow. This film marks another writer-director in their feature debut. His name is Von Stein. He's less impressive. He's less impressive as the last one. Although, I will say, and you could tell from the trailer, extremely stylish. This Mm -hmm. movie is very stylish and has a nice look about it. The problem is with the storytelling. Yes. uh, He sets it up. And I'm, I'm less thrilled with the look of it actually you know because the it, the whole thing felt so stale to me like this throwback to like the you know 2000 to 2010 era where we get all of these noir-esque hard-boiled neon soaked underbelly comic book style your sin city ripoffs basically which itself was while very uh, well done a tarantino ripoff I mean, he was involved, but yet, I mean, it was clearly super influenced by that. And I think that this movie just kind of rehashes and regurgitates not just that, but a, but a lot of other even more well-worn storylines. Yeah, it's very noir. It's very, it seems to be more satisfied with itself than it should be. Yeah. I think it's being a lot more surprising than it is. There's really two major Reveals. plot twists yeah. that you, you can see coming, and <laughs> I, I don't think the, the movie and the filmmakers think that's the case. They're really going to shock you, they think, you know, and they don't. It has some solid performers. You know, Margot Robbie is always solid. She seems like she's trying a bit too yeah, hard here. I actually do. I think she struggles a bit with this one because it's got a lot of Harley Quinn mm-hmm. going on. Like, because, look how yeah, crazy I am. As you tell from the trailer, yeah, it's like, yeah, she's, yeah. she's mad as a hatter, she keeps saying. And then you've they, got Mike Myers in kind of, a, oh, that's Mike Myers that type sure of role. That sure is Mike Myers. And actually the best, I think the best performance in the movie comes in from, my belly. Comes from Simon, Simon Pegg. Pegg. Yeah, yeah, Simon Pegg is really good in it. He really is. And um, and actually, uh, and he plays a character who's basically waiting on a train, and so he's there in the diner, and Margot Robbie's character plays a lot of different sort of, she, she participates in every imaginable scene, but she also plays a waitress in this diner. And the best scenes are when her character, Annie, and, and, and his character, Steve, Simon Pegg, are just sitting talking to each other. Yeah. Because then she comes off as a little bit weird, and he comes off as like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. And he seems so very naturalistic, and it's a nice change, but also they're, they're, they're both very talented. Yeah, and her character is always working angles. She's trying to play everyone off each other, so she's working a, a new angle on every character. And yeah, theirs is the only interactions that mm-hmm. have any sort of uh, engagement to them, I think, that really drew my interest. Yeah. After that, everything, as you said, just got stale, and even though I thought it was quite stylish in the end, I... I don't think it's, it's one we can recommend no. uh, at all, and that's Terminal. And that's uh, the, the main releases for uh, the theaters this week, so to get the home video, we go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Leading the releases in uh, home video, Fifty Shades Freed. And by freed, we mean we're finally free of this trilogy. I'll tell you what. The one, the one thing about this movie is they finally, it's Christian and Anastasia. They finally move past the, the sexual nature of the relationship. More, um, it's, it's more concerned with being a thriller this time. Which yeah. is, I think, good because if you go back to the first movie, the thing that shocked me about that first Fifty Shades movie is how first, there's no chemistry between these two whatsoever mm-hmm. and how unsexy it was. Very. We hadn't read the book, but we just kept hearing about, oh, it's so scandalous, you know, and it, 
Really? Yawn. Uh, yeah, it, so it, it didn't connect on any sort of level. No. Um, and I think Dakota Johnson is talented. I was waiting for him to say it. He's, he, he likes her a great deal. He's very fond I of her. I think she's talented. Uh, the uh, Jamie, Jamie Dornan. Yeah. I, I couldn't say the same for him, at least in this movie, and I haven't seen him in a whole lot else. But there's no chemistry. It's nonsensical. Much of this movie seems like an, uh, a two-hour ad for Audi. <laughs> Product placement everywhere. <laughs> I was just, and he doesn't want to be a dad? Oh, my God. Who saw that coming? You thought he wanted to be a dad? Did you meet him? <laughs> yeah, so I know it has its fans, and you know, God bless you if if, if you're a fan. But this one is let's and you know, and this Actually, one it seems like the think. performers are glad it's done. Yeah, they they really do. It's like, oh my God, I'm never gonna have to do this again. But it's funny uh, with sort of the emphasis off the sex. I think it really draws more attention to how wildly awful the writing is. Yeah. the story is. It's yeah, like, and, and, it's so much worse than a soap opera. So much worse. And it, it's a sad... It's like a soap opera written by fourth graders. Exactly. And the director here is James Foley, who directed Glengarry Glen 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 Ross. Ross. Put that coffee down. <laughs> uh, which, we love Glengarry Glen Ross. And I think sometimes some of these directors want to take this, a project like this, well, I can make something of it. And, you know, it all goes back to the writing. It all starts with the writing. And the writing here is bad. And uh, the movie's bad. But a good one, a very good one, comes out on home video uh, this week. That uh, It's a documentary. If you're into documentaries, you definitely want to check out a documentary called Human Flow. So this is uh, from filmmaker, activist, and artist Ai Weiwei. One of his many fascinating documentaries, but this one is not about him. He makes a lot that are about him. <laughs> and this one is about the global refugee crisis in keeping with his work. It's visually just astounding. And at the same time, a lot of times the visuals just help to give you a sense of scope. Like just this overwhelming number of humans, but at the same time it's very focused on that last word, humans. It's a really intimate Visually gorgeous, very, very affecting uh, documentary. Well, what's funny is it's able to be intimate, but still on a grand scale, because a lot of times a documentary will will make a misstep when it doesn't just follow, you know, one family or two families or something like that to make make the uh, whatever they're they're studying on film really really hit home. But this one takes a a grand epic scale and makes it so powerful and and so vital, so very uh, timely right now and can't recommend that enough. A documentary called Human Flow. As we said, next week, a big one coming out, Deadpool 2. From all indications are, it's going to be more of the same from Deadpool 1, which I thought was a hoot. Yes. Just a and, hoot. And, and, and Josh Brolin, who's having a hell of a summer. Yeah, he's, he's the villain. Gonna, I know, man. He's just going to be the villain in all of the dollars that we spend this year. <laughs> they just released a new a teaser in just the last couple of days with Deadpool and David Beckham, which is very funny. <laughs> I mean, the whole marketing on this just feeds into the vibe, and it's got me very excited with it. And I remember I, I really didn't think I was going to like the first one that much. You didn't I, think you were going to like the first Guardians of the Galaxy Oh, either. that's right. And boy, I did. Yeah. So sometimes you go in, you know, just go in blind. Because I didn't really know much about the Deadpool character. I didn't know much about the Guardians of the Galaxy character before no. we saw him. No. So sometimes you can go in there and just get blown away by a movie like that. Now, Deadpool is great. And the, the new one is going to be directed by David Leach, who directed Atomic, Atomic Blonde. Blonde which, so that only means even better action. Yeah. Because that, that, that was the, one that was ignored. Really but impressive choreography. Had some great Atomic action Blonde. to it. Also, speaking of, Fifty Shades. Next Speaking week is of. a movie coming out called Book Club. Diane Keaton, Jane Fonda, Candace Bergen, and Mary Steenburgen. Their characters all read Fifty Shades and get a little randy. That's yeah. So okay then. I mean, I I've lost the will to live. 
knowing that I have to go see that next week. <laughs> but it might surprise. <laughs> we have to go in with open minds. Right. So that's what we look forward to next week and then in a couple of weeks, uh, the Han Solo movie. If anybody likes, have, has the, the uh, propensity for horror movies that we do, we want to direct you to our other podcast and movie series that we do, and it's so called Fright Club. It's a podcast that we do focusing solely on horror movies, and it's also a film series. It is at the Gateway Film Center, the second Wednesday of every month. We start with a happy hour at 6.30. At 7.30, we record the podcast, and so we have a theme for every Fright Club podcast. For example, we did one, the, the five best underrated women in horror. Earlier this week, we did the five best workplace horror films. And then we show one of the films that we talked about. So last night we showed, two nights ago, we showed Severance. This is a British black comedy horror film, which is great. This coming month, we're going to show The Snowtown Murders, which is an underseen, brilliant Australian serial killer film. And we're going to talk about realism in horror. And that'll be June 13th at the Gateway, Gateway Film, film Center. Center. And you can get all that info on any of our social media. The main website is madwolf.com, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. You can always reach out to us on Twitter, at madwolf on Twitter, and on Instagram and Facebook. We are Mad Wolf Columbus, and we always look forward to uh, hearing from you. Disagree with us, please. <laughs> We'd like to keep the conversation going. It's always fun to do that. And uh, we hope you will check us out. And we, ha we have had a blast. We thank you so much for the invite here on the Columbus Podcast Festival. It's, it's a great event. I, I love that they're doing this and that they ask us to be a part of it. And we can't thank you enough. And, uh, until, and thank you, Greg. And thank you, Greg, for being our producer and stepping in and being our MVP. Because so. I could not reach the laptop <laughs> from here. That is right. I'm Limmy, but I'm, I mean, I'm not that So bad. until next time, we uh, hope to hear from you. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening room podcast see ya thank you. thank you so much thank you i do wish we could chat longer but i'm having an old friend for dinner bye